Welcome to Oral Fixation. My name is Drew, and this episode it's just a good old-fashioned kiki with me and Andy discussing Sawayama by Rina Sawayama, which was released in 2020 by Dirty Hit and Avex Tracks.、Mm. Any audio clips that we use are used solely for the purposes of review and critique. You know the drill. Tell a lawyer. Tell your friends. And if you don't, then just shut the fuck up. Perfecto, great. Perfecto.、Um, well, here we are, dialing in back again, and another one just Drew, for two, which I'm excited for. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Is one of my favourite songs from the album we're discussing. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know why that got me so much, but that was really, that was really funny. It got you, gal. That got、um, you, gal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, first of back, all, back, no, back, actually, back first, hold up though, hold up, hold up. First and foremost, you shut the fuck up because <laughs> I've got a question. I've got a question for you before we even get into the ST, STFUery of it all.、Um, <laughs> I've got a question. I've got a couple of questions for you, and I want to ask you what's new, and I want to ask you what's queer. We're doing. We're doing. What you call what's new, what's queer, what I call queerer now, because queer, queer now. people、Waxing、contain multitudes. Waxing queerical. <laughs>、um, well, hit me with it. You got any questions for me? I got questions for you. Well, well, I said to you earlier, this is some BTS for the listeners.、Um, yeah. I texted Andy earlier and I said, "Oh, let's do a what's new, what's queer,"、um, because we haven't done one in a while, and it's nice to do them when it's just the two of us,、um, because it just give there's a bit more space as opposed to just wanting to get straight to it with the guest. <laughs>、um, and. Andy said to me, "I've got a couple. I'm going to throw at you live on air." So I said,、that. "Okay, well then, bring it on. I'm lubed up and I'm ready to go.、Um, and I've got my little mango seltzer here, my boozy seltzer.、Uh, hit me with it. What can I? What can、wow. I?、Um, what can I help you with, listener? What, what's your query? Speaking of being lubed up, the Olympics. Now the Olympics are kind of old、okay. hat. They finished like two weeks ago from where we're recording right now, but. I did think that they were kind of monumental for their、um, for the successes, especially this year of queer people and people of color. I don't know if you got much of a chance in lockdown to watch much of the Olympics. As you might know, listeners, you may not know, I am iconically not that sports queen. I don't, I don't do sports. The closest I'll get to sports is sport, sporty spice. However,、yeah. there is something about the Olympics, the fanfare of it all, how it genuinely demonstrates like the very best of human achievement that gets me every four years. And there was something very queer about Tokyo 2020. Do you have any thoughts? I do have thoughts.、Um, I am also definitely not that Olympics bitch, but I live with. Perhaps the Olympics bitch. Shout out to deep sister-in-law of the pod, Liv,、um, mm. recent mother,、um, Leo mother, Leo, iconically Leo,、um, and she, for whatever reason, this year and four years ago, and I think four years before that,、um, has just always、um, been like off work or on leave or on lockdown or whatever. 
um, during the Olympics period. So she always gets really, really into it. So she would give us all of the updates. Um, and, um, and from what I can understand, I mean, I f the only real kind of stuff I saw was memes of like hot guys doing gymnastics and what have you. But for me, the real big um, sort of queer celebratory moment was when Tom Daly, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, but Tom Daly got a gold medal and made a point of saying that he was a proud gay man receiving mm. a gold medal. And mm. there was a bit of that sort of classic backlash of like, why it got to be gay? Why have you got mm. to make it gay? And, um, and I'm glad to say that I saw a lot of the rhetoric being the reason he's got to make it gay and the reason why it's so great that he made it gay um, or about his gayness or sort of in, injected his gayness into that um, <laughs> that celebration. <laughs> I'm bluffing we got to it. inject it's his gay. gayness into my <laughs> celebration, darling. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. But um, <laughs> um, is because it is, a, it is that global stage and there are so many countries like Russia at the Olympics that have a huge presence. There are so many countries that still have very antiquated... Um, if not just views towards well, LGBTQIA plus people, people, literal death penalties. Um, mm. I think there were, was it maybe like 10 countries that actually have um, uh, homosexuality as a yeah. criminal offence um, by death at the Olympics? Something so like mm. in creating that conversation, it, um, it kind of... Uh, yeah, it, it allows for a lot more vis visibility. Like, literally billions of people watch the Olympics. Mm. Um, so, yeah, to be able to have that global stage and to speak to something that isn't as um, sort of, I guess, uh, for want of a better phrase, passe or kind of, you know, um, easy to talk about um, as it is in countries like the UK and Australia um, was really, really important so that definitely mm. made me and there's this iconic shot of tom daly it's so zeitgeisty of him like looking up at the um the board wearing a mask with a tear coming down his eye because he's just mm. he's won gold stunning um, so beautiful stunning <clears throat> but, uh, what are your thoughts I we know, love I, you tom i know that you're not that i know that you're not that sports bitch but are you that olympics bitch are you that olympic i'm an, i'm i'm an olympic um, and yeah, you kind of nailed everything. Um, that's, that was really the main thing about showing that visibility, but, um, the stats are also really interesting and important. Um, in 2012, there were 23 counted publicly out Olympians in 2016, there were 56, which was already a big jump. In 2020, there were, well, 2021, but for the 2020 Olympics, there were 185 publicly out gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, or non-binary athlete, athletes in Tokyo for the Olympic Games, which is staggering how, um, you know, we know that athletes, there's always been queer athletes, but that out queer athletes have just you know, grown so enormously. Your shout-out was Tom Daly. My shout-out would be to um, the trans weightlifter Laurel Hubbard from New Zealand, which was just um, incredible to see trans visibility on the stage as well. So I stand the Olympics. I'm here for them. They were perfect lockdown COVID joy. 
you've come at me with stats and I love that about you. Um, but that is staggering. Like the amount in eight short years, the amount of visibility, um, the amount that that has increased is uh, really, really important. And it's because of conversations like the one that Tom Daly started and a lot of his predecessors before him. Um, shout out to Matthew Mitchum. <laughs> shout out to Ian huh. Thorpe. Well, um, no, really. They've had a really rough time. Like Ian Thorpe well, actually, in particular Thorpe-y, has had a very awful time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting comparing the treatment of Tom Daly with the treatment of Ian Thorpe because he was, um, he, he just got so fucked up by his management, as I understand it. And for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know, Ian Thorpe is a Australian swimmer who was like the golden boy of like, maybe, was it the Sydney Olympics or was it like the one after that? Maybe it was several, sure. <clears throat> several, but also like several many Olympics the were greatest had. male swimmer of all time, something like that. Uh, yeah. Um, and he was pretty effeminate and, um, and even before he could sort of, I think, reconcile his sexuality. I remember reading an interview with him where he was basically told that he was gay and, and at the same time told to, you know, pipe, pipe it down, toots. Um, and that just completely messed with his sense of self and um, his own journey. And he's gone on to have several um, struggles with, yeah, his own mental health and, um, and alcoholism, I believe. Um, and now hopefully that's that, that sort of story being told will be a thing of the past. And it's a shame Mm. that Ian had to go through that to sort of get to where we are now. Um, but hopefully Ian Thorpe coming soon to oral fixation or Um, an adjacent oral fixation podcast, TBC about swimmers. Swimmers. Uh, oral, uh, I, oral um, <laughs> aqua fixation. Aqua fixation. Um, and before we move into the main segment of this episode, just one more question, really. I had I had many questions. We could talk. We could just chat the breeze all day. Um, but one more question for you, Drew. Uh, Santino Rice, true or false? Oh, absolutely false. Completely we false. Do. Completely false. I don't know if you um I don't know if you listen to the Every Outfit um podcast, which was started I by don't. um uh Lauren uh Garoni, I believe, and Chelsea Fairless, who run the Every Outfit on SAT. We love you, Lauren um, and Chelsea. Instagram, Instagram account. Shout out to you and I seeing them live in Sydney when they did that live commentary of the first Sex in the City movie. Um and Chelsea is an like, iconic queer woman. Anyway, <clears throat> They have this thing at the end of their podcast every week where they say what's in and what's out. And what's out is Santino Rice. But not out as in loads of Olympians. Out as in get in the bin. Shut your mouth with your no (laughs) vaccination (laughs) ass knowledge. Oh my gosh, can, can I just say, we know that Rue brought back Merle Ginsburg. He thinks fondly of Merle. We see you, Merle. He didn't bring Santino Merle back. The girl. He didn't bring him back. He's not going to bring him back. Mm. If you're wondering, said, like, who is this person? Why Merle. do I care? <laughs> Old drag race church. Um, creepy, gross, whatever. Um, sacked years ago. Not important at all, but basically just tries to stay relevant by being a noted anti-vaxxer and, um, you know, comparing vaccines to, you know, 
men infecting other men in the 80s on purpose with AIDS and things like that. And just stuff that we just don't really want in our space, in our life, in our oral fixation. We, we, we don't need it. Um, we don't want it. Um, the rice is overcooked. <laughs> and it's sticky. I'm um, shaking that um, dice and I'm stealing the rice. The rice. <laughs> I am not stealing the rice. It's a Santi no from me. Um, okay, so. Um, but yes, completely. What's out is Santi no rice. What's in is Rina Sabayama. Out Olympians. Uh, and our oh, Olympians, yes. yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my segue, but yes. Sorry. Shout out sorry, once again to again. our Olympians. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's do that link, as they say in the biz, again. Let's retake that hot link. We can we can retake it. I might just keep this in because it's fun. But yes, what's out <laughs> is Santino Rice, but what's in is Rina Sawayama. <laughs> Welcome, Rena. Um, we love you, Rena. Rena, we love you. We see you. Um, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Sorry, that was a shout out to mine and Andy's friend, Rena. Um, <laughs> but also, Rena. Um, this is an interesting one. So, obviously, we love our queer idols. We love going back into the archives, opening up those archives, and discussing iconic, oconic. Um, sort of uh, musicians from yesteryear but we also are mindful that this is a queer podcast for um, the entire spectrum of music and um, we also love discussing more contemporary artists sometimes and Rina has been someone Rina Sabayama has been someone that's been on the tip of our tongue for a while Andy correct? feel her right now she's just there on the I, tip she's oh tip of the town um <laughs> tip of the ho- tokyo hotel um do yes you... well rena you know yeah um yes, rena's here rena's queer was... get used to it really <laughs> we are getting used to it but what was your um i know we asked this a lot but i am interested to know because mine was very minimal what was your understanding of Rena pre um, us saying let's do let's do Rena? Now this is random. So Rena, we're discussing okay. the album Caps Lock, which is iconic. Sawayama, which came out in April 2020. Rough time. More on that later. Um, yeah, right. But I knew Rena off of her first ever single which came out in 2013 and is called Sleeping in Waking and I only found out today that um, she had it out on SoundCloud it was kind of what got noticed her by it was kind of what got her noticed by a record label it it, it was what Um, got noticed her it it was very got Mick noticed her very that (laughs) Um, and you are that SoundCloud bitch well, I'm actually that Spotify Discover Weekly bitch. I nah. rarely does a day Not go past. Not in 2013, past. you weren't. It's no, 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 no. Really, um, I, I wasn't. I wasn't listening to Spotify then, but um, I discovered that song, what, maybe, I don't know, maybe four years ago, and it popped up on my Discover Weekly, so I didn't know her in 2013. I knew her then. Um, That was her then. No. So, that popped up on my radar a few years ago, and that must have been when she did her first... fleshed out EP which was also Caps Lock which is iconic and queer Rena 2017 (laughs) 
Um, so that was the kind of music that I was um, getting used to from her. I'd have it down as very cool East London, um, UK influenced electro pop. Sleeping and Waking from 2013 is very sort of Jessie Ware, modern Sade, gorgeous, sumptuous R&B. Both of those styles are somewhat different to the album, which she put out in 2020. And that's up for discussion this evening. That's on tonight. Um, so yeah, Rena has kind of been in my queer orbit for a few years. I mean, I don't think I even realized she was queer until about a year ago, but um, regardless of her own self-professed queerness, she's that pop diva the gays have always and will always lap up. Um, and that was why she kind of um, came across my queer dar. So that's my knowledge of <laughs> Rena pre this album. What's yours? Um, my knowledge of Rena pre this album was, <clears throat> um, I don't shout out my friend Joe enough on this podcast. Um, you don't. Shout out to little gay Joe back in the UK. Um, he How tall is, is Joe, P.S.? I think he's, he's knee high to a pig's eye. He is not going to clear <laughs> most roller coaster rides. Oh, he ain't Joe. getting in unless he's wearing a sort of high hat. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> sort of Jamiroquai esque um, hat, <laughs> not Native American headdress, which wasn't cool then and isn't cool now. So actually, um, fact checkers, if you're if you're too short and you're wearing sort of Spice Girl esque Baby Spice platform pumps, can you get on a roller coaster? Fact checkers, can you just figure that out for us? Tivoli World um, in uh, Spain, uh, Malaga, Spain, between the years 1997 to 2000, (laughs) and I want to say two, I tried. um, Come hell or high water to get on that roller coaster, and I want tall enough, I did the platforms. I did the the gently placing the cap atop the head. You did did the Native American headdress. Bar of it. I didn't do the Native American headdress. <laughs> I didn't go full Jamiroquai. Anyway, um, Joe and I, well, often it's Joe sharing them with me, but um, Joe's very much on the pulse when it comes to pop music, is obsessed with pop music. He very much was that pop justice bitch. He, um, he is constantly sending me music um, and we sort of share a love of um, pop music and particularly, specifically, the pop music of what I what I what I want to call Y2K, kind of early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands. And he sent me this song XX by by Rena, um, and he was like, "What is this song?" But it is it's just it's so like uh, when we spoke about um, Dua Lipa and the fact that she obviously had references from late 90s and early 2000s music and future nostalgia. Um, I, I, I definitely agree that that's the case. This song, XX, and ultimately the rest of the album is just hitting different in a way that is even more explicitly that, um, that kind of, that era. To me, XX, I still can't quite put my finger on what exact song is. It feels like it could be a bit Case of the X by Maya. It could be a mm. little bit Lose by Breath by Destiny's Child. But it's kind of all, it's all of it. And um, without sort of skipping to the end too much, 
knowing more about Rina's influences um, that include, yes, your, your Gaga's and your Christina's and your Beyonce's, but also your Evanescence's and your Limp Biscuits mm. and mm. your NSYNC's. It's almost as if in listening to this album where there is a lot of kind of pop and um, and like early 2000s boppery, but also a lot of kind of rock and new metal. It's almost as if I was listening to a Now album from 2002 and each different song was kind of like a different style that was around at that it time. It was very that, yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, my, so my first... Um, my first interaction with Rena was was through excess and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so kind of um, nostalgic to me. And then the the in listening to the album, it's just been such a wild, weird kind of nostalgic fever dream of trying to guess all of the different songs that reference um, that, that are being referenced by um, by her in this in this mm. album. And I'm not um, I'm not su- surprised to see how critically acclaimed it was. Um, because it's just, it is a masterpiece in um, in referencing that specific time period that means so much to me, and I imagine you as well. Interesting. Yes, a lot to unpack there. So before we get into that, who is uh, Rena Sawayama? As per my records, she is just a couple of months older than me. She was born in August 1990. Iconic Leo. Let's oh, just acknowledge the. Uh, she shares her birthday with the Queen of the Immaculate section, and I'll just open it there and then just close it. Cause I think that's about it. They do share. Oh, no, I've got. Birthdays. I've got. I've actually got one. I've got something for the Immaculate okay. section. Is it we'll suitable go, we'll for now, or should we wait? No, 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 we'll put it in. We'll put a pin in it. All right, putting a pin in the Immaculate section. Mm. Um, and she was born to Japanese parents. Um, I believe in Japan, but moved to the UK very young. Um, again, fact checkers get on that. Um, and the only reason why I think it's relevant to bring up her, um, resident, residential status in the UK is that until recently, or maybe she still is, she's on an indefinite remain to leave visa. So she's not Mm. a citizen. And the reason that's important is because one of the things I think is really cool about Rena is that she was not initially eligible for a Brit award um, at what, I don't know, maybe the the 2021s or even, yeah, I don't, a a recent one. It would be about this album. It was in July 2020, I think, yeah, that she tweeted about her ineligibility. And um, her queer godfather, Alton John, more on that later, got involved in that campaign. <laughs> and the, the, the Brit Awards changed their eligibility, quite rightly, to include, I think it's people who have resided mainly in the UK for the bulk of their career or life or something like that. Yeah. So that's why I think that's cool. But of course, her, I think it was um, also the, the Mercury, Music Award, uh, Mercury Music Prize as well also changed their... Um, rules that's great that's good um because a lot of music i'm not sure if it was um hugely obvious to me before the sawayama album but a lot of music on this album references her identity her place in modern uk slash global society um how you know what people think of her how is she viewed by people that she dates by people 
uh, in the music industry, by fans, um, and how her kind of nationality and identity of being both British and Japanese weaves through that. So I think that's particularly interesting. And of course, you can't ignore, you know, the artwork of this album, which is fabulous. And actually, shout out to the entire visual concept for this album and the singles. The Comme des Garçons single artwork is stunning and is like... who who's what's that 80s cartoon which i was far too young to watch but was probably god a bit too old he-man and she-ra oh and she-ra he-ra and like the adventures of she-ra she-ra ra uh yeah anyway it just gave strong vibes there i'm digressing so you uh, you raise a point about it being a bit of like a love letter to late 90s early 2000s There's a lot that I really like about this album. I really love the main singles. Um, We'll go through them in more detail, but I really love aforementioned Comme des Garçons. I love the opener dynasty. I love Love Me For Me. Happy to talk about them more. But my overall hot take, and I am still digesting this album, and a big reason of why I've said this before in Oral Fixation, I don't love doing really contemporary albums because I do feel like they need a few years to sit and for us to look back at their... Um, with hindsight, actually, in the context of what they're sitting in. And we've had great fun doing albums like Dua and Ariana. But generally, I personally feel more comfortable looking at albums where, you know, there's five, ten plus years of kind of history and social context to look back on. I feel somewhat a bit uncomfortable. Maybe it's because it's like relevant to my age bracket about an album based on musical references from like a time period where I was really starting to become aware of musical trends and genres. So for the same reasons that you love this album, and I really respect that and embrace that, um, I don't love that it's so heavily inspired by the early 2000s and late 90s. Like, I wasn't that Evanescence bitch. And I love that, you know, I actually wrote when I was listening to um, the opening track Dynasty, I wrote Evanescence and Tattoo. And actually my phone auto-corrected it to, um, I can't even remember, but Tutu, which made me chuckle as I was driving. Don't text and drive. There was, um, don't text and drive because there'd be something jumping on your Tutu if that is the case. But um, I do think there's something that's odd interesting about though. me here. Because so many gays our age, you know, there's... Shout out to iconic podcast Right Back At Ya, which is ran by two fierce gays in London. One of them is Aussie. And that entire podcast okay, is based is on... Too similar. Breaking Don't listen down. to that podcast, listeners. <laughs> Don't. Breaking down artists, you know, kind of one-hit wonders albums from, like, 99 to 2002. Um, so I know... I feel like I'm probably the odd one out. There's entire club nights based on this concept. It's just not um, an era of music which I um, run toward. What's that all about, considering so many people that do love it? That is so interesting. That is really, really interesting. And I, I, I'd be so interested to hear if other listeners had a similar response. Because for me, I it was, it was such a kind of like... I love specifically I would say like 19 I love the Spice Girls and I love all 90s music um, by and large but something about 1999 to like 2002 maybe three at the absolute maximum that was 
just, I guess, probably the period of my life where I was um, starting to become aware of myself as like a, um, as a, as a growing person, as a queer person. Um, and all of the music, I think just my, all my pores were just like wide open and all of the music that, that came into my life at that time, it filled me up and then, and then the pores kind of got tighter and they are just, that music is just locked into me. And now when I, when I think about sort of modern, modern pop music, the modern pop landscape, I'm like, yeah, it's great, but it's never, it's never going to be as good as, as my formative years. And I think that's something that, I think that's something that everybody feels right. Like that's, mm. so it's, it's an old adage of like, you know, they don't make them like they used to. And that's probably because, you know, you're coming of age at a certain time and all of that music is just so important and has so much meaning. But to be able to then kind of like hear new music that sounds like the music that I loved when I was younger and kind of in a way produced to a higher quality and um, with Mm, messages that probably have a lot more meaning. Like, Excess is literally about the fact that the world is on fire and no one cares. Like, Mm -hmm. Comme de Garçon is about fragile masculinity. Um, and like the the empowerment of women and gay men um, who reject those kind of ideals, like those kind of messages, I wasn't being given when I was younger. Um, so it's kind of like this merging of like awesome messages plus this style of music that I really really love that I sort of um, that I pine for. Um, it's just kind of it's like this um, this whole album has been a bit of like a bonus kind of um, a bonus prize of like sounds I never thought I'd probably hear again um, being given to me in a way that feels um, A, super nostalgic, B, super kind of like um, referential and respectful of of that kind of quote-unquote bubblegum pop or kind of um, quite disposable pop back in the day. Um, mm. And But now with, yeah, with, with a bit more meaning behind it. And I, it's so interesting because it reminds me, it's like the sound is, is so, so many of these songs could have been like, a a, uh, a song made by someone that didn't win Pop Idol or someone that like the like Liberty X or like you mm. know those 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 bands Michelle that were, were created Michelle McManus found no, she scene. did win sorry she did win <laughs> sorry no yeah. she did win she did win Jessica Garlic um <laughs> it's 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 kind of, and and at the time all of that music that I loved was so kind of like critically lambasted and and brandished as empty and vapid and nothing. And I loved it. And now to have something that directly references those artists that, um, that I loved when I was a child, but, but now it's kind of this, it's done in a way that's kind of with a kind of raised eyebrow and a bit of like a wink and, and a nudge. It's just, that's something that's just really exciting to me. Love that you've on on live on air. You've um, definitely already uh, made waves in changing my kind of ever evolving opinion of this album. I really, really appreciate that hot take. I do get that's that would be a huge contributor to your enjoyment of the album. It's so I, weird. It's also just worth the last thing I'll say on have, it is. Well, I'm just going to say it's worth noting that I've reconciled my old age, whereas it feels like you're maybe sort of turning that corner and. Possibly. Yeah, welcome to the dark side, you know? Possibly, but, like, I guess the only other thing relevant to that is... It's interesting that you say most people probably think the music that they came up with was, like, the best because it's associated with memories and 
life events and、um, formulating those tastes. Yeah, I've known for quite some time, like you know, a good decade. The time, the musical era. This is zero surprise to anyone who listens to the podcast. But the musical era that I live in is like 1985 to 1995. Like actually, it's capped at the Spice Girls. It's all downhill after the Spice Girls for me. But it、right. starts in like 1983, and and I just、That's、know、so、that. That's so interesting because be... I do know that about you, but also I didn't. I didn't know that about you really.、So、yeah, like I, when yeah. I just look at what I'm listening to, it's just.、Um, I'm really trying to unpeel. Why is it that the music when I was really like, kind of like prepubescent, going into my teens, why does it almost、um, repel me? It's like, what's going on here? Do I need to speak to a therapist about that? Are there some kind of unopened traumatic memories which I associate with Liberty X? I don't know because、um, <laughs> don't pull at that thread. That Michelle Heaton's gone through enough. <laughs> No, what's the Liberty X song I do absolutely love? It's playing right now. I'm so frustrated. I'm not mad at you, baby. Yeah, but、nope. why the wait? I'm just telling you, maybe that one. That one. That one. I'm thinking、yeah. it over. Well, I'm thinking over right now. Thinking it over. I'm traumatized by、uh, <laughs> early 2000s music. Anyway, that's for another time because、um, I do really appreciate、that's、your hot take on. That's、um, got legs. The genres of Sawayama, and、um, let's let okay then. Now that we're that we're clear with that, let's make it through some of our highlights.、Um, I do think the opener is strong. Dynasty, it's fire, it's evanescence, it's tattoo, nay, tutu. <laughs>、uh, what do you think?、Um, for me, the big hitters. Well, actually, before I go into the big hitters, I will say this: this one piece of、um, sort of, I guess, cri- critique. Is not the right word because I'm not a fucking critic, but、um, you try. We know that Rena. When I try,、um, <laughs> we know that Rena is a fierce bisexual and pansexual、um, woman.、Uh, she's spoken a lot about、uh, about her identity in that respect, and that's awesome. And I guess going back to what Drew, I was I've got a queer those- question for you. Yeah, I've got a question for you that I wonder. Do some of our listeners' question as well, or am I just like the fucking idiot in the room?、Mm-hmm. Could you define the difference between bi and pan? I can try,、um, but if I am incorrect, then please、um, no no offense no offense meant, and feel free to.、Um, well, I'm texting the fact checkers at, at the same time, so oralfixationpodcast@gmail.com with your thoughts. But as I understand it.、Um, Someone that、uh, identifies as bisexual is someone that is attracted to men and women, <clears throat> and、mm-hmm. someone that is someone that identifies as pansexual is sexually attracted to anyone on the 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 gender spectrum. So、mm-hmm. you can be,、um, as I understand it, you can be bisexual and pansexual at the same time. Because you might identify、um, sexually, sorry, not identify. You might be attracted sexually to people that、um, identify on a binary, therefore a man、mm. or a woman. Or you might be sexually attracted to someone that doesn't identify on a binary.、Um, and I think that that, in really, really loose layman's terms, is the difference. I could be wrong. I think you've、I'm、nailed a, it. I'm I'm a 33 year old cisgendered white. Man, so please school me if I'm incorrect. But as I understand it, that is、um, that's the kind of the 
the differentiation between those two things. That's what the fact checkers are reporting back on to me. And that was kind of my assumption as well, that bisexual is more binary based, pansexual is everyone. And I'm sorry for interrupting you, so please continue. No, that's fine. So um, before I head into my my favourites on the album, um, because I do want to say that I also just love it in and of itself as an album, but um, there were some moments of the album. We know that Rina, as I said, is, is, a, is a queer woman, but there were some moments that were just a little bit kind of on the nose for me. Yes, um, yes. Like song, a song like Chosen Family is great and it's important and if I was a 12 year old boy obsessed with um, Liberty X and they had a song called Chosen Family I would feel um, incredibly vindicated and seen and um, empowered to be myself even more than I sort of already was by that music um, but it's it's just a, a, and and I guess uh, to go the next a, another step on from that the beginning of um, of Love Me For Me, um, which we'll yes. get on to because it's basically, it, it, that's a Janet Jackson song. We'll get onto that in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, Rina literally, I don't know if it's um, purposefully referencing RuPaul's adage, if you can't love yourself. It would be purposeful, how, yeah. How in the hell are you going to love somebody else? But at the beginning of the song, she speaks the words, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? And mm-hmm. a- again, that for me, I was like, I... I get, I get your girl. I got it. I love it. I do love it, mm. but it's not particularly exciting for me to hear a phrase that I hear twice weekly um, and have done for the past like five years. And maybe that kind of um, queer um, ennui is something that's a great thing because that that phrase itself is so kind of um, so ubiquitous now. But uh, it just felt a little bit kind of like, okay, tits, I, I, I promise you, I get it. Um, let's find a more interesting way to kind of like say that thing. Does that, that sounds awful me even saying it, but do you kind of know what I mean? No. I, well, maybe we're, this is dangerous territory because we're just a vacuum and we just agree with each other. But that's actually what I wrote down for Chosen Family. I wrote on the nose. And I've okay. also been kind of reflecting on me feeling the same things that you've been feeling. I've been thinking, why am I kind of, um, not irritated, but why do I kind of metaphorically roll my eyes at that? What is it about that which is so eye-rolly? And I think you're right. I think, um, well, I'll tell you what. I, um, I actually first heard that song from the Elton duet. I didn't realise that it was originally on the album and she sang it solo. So I heard it a couple of months ago. And I just love that Daddy Elton has always had his um, aged fingers on the pulse. Like he actually does, has always been so good at like contemporary music and trends and all of that. He seems to have kind of taken Rena under his wing as he's known to do with, you know, young upcoming pop stars, which is amazing. Um, and I love that you've got this elder queer legend icon. Check out Goodbye Yellow Brick Road for more on that. Joining with, um, that's the episode, by the way, not the album. Joining with this young upstart. Check out both. Um, really beautiful. But the lyrics are just incredibly obvious. Like in the chorus, it's like, um, we don't need to have the same surname. We don't need to look the same. Like, I get it. That rhymes. That's cute. But you're bashing me over the head with a mallet with... Um, LGBTIAQ plus 
is cool on it. Now, all of that might sound initially harsh to a listener, and I get it, because it sounded a bit harsh to me. It was a thought, it was harsh, I reflected. I watched the YouTube video, and the YouTube video, the comments, the comments section is literally a safe space, which is not what you can say for most comment sections. There are people saying things like, I'm a queer person from Indonesia. This song means so much to me. I'm a young trans person. I'm a young Latinx person. It's so amazing seeing this song. It's so amazing seeing other people in the comments who are like me. And I was like, whoa, you, as in I, I'm about to go through a cute little queer privilege check. Because, Drew, you and I have kind of been on that journey and we're still going on our own journey, but we've got a good 10 to 15, in your case, 60 years of acceptance, (laughs) self-love under our belt. And you said it yourself at the start of your opinion that um, that song, I think, is for not just 12-year-olds, but people in other countries, people who might be our age and still not comfortable with themselves. That's a really, really good point. And I think that really nicely ties back to the discussion that we just had about the Olympics and sort of being seen, feeling seen, especially given the fact that Rina is a woman of colour. And, you know, even though, yes, we have had a good number of years of self-actualization and we've been able to sort of, you know, come to those realizations and those conclusions with the help of other music and, and the people, our chosen family, the people around us. Um, it's not the same for younger people and it's not the same for people of color. Um, and we definitely have to check our privilege in that respect. And I really appreciate you, um, making note of that. I will say though, that on the, the Rue quote, um, It's something as um, fans of pop culture ourselves, but also it's a uniquely queer thing in that we love... Well, not uniquely queer. It's it's unique to any sort of, like, subset of society, subculture, that we have things which are ours. And often... Um, it's great to share those things with mainstream society and there can be many benefits from that. But it's also a source of tension um, of when those things are kind of appropriated by other people. I'm not saying Rena's appropriated anything queer because we know she's queer, but just our ears, just when you touched on, you know, hearing that phrase that we've heard twice weekly, sometimes three or four times if you watch the Dutch and Spanish versions um, for the last 10 years, kind of heard on a massive mainstream pop song, it's like, oh, all right, we get it, but um, I don't know. I don't have an if opinion the, on if that. The singer, just if the singer it's, wasn't it's... queer, if Rena wasn't queer, I'd be vexed. Yeah, I'd be true. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. dare you yeah. use this thing and in, in a way that you think is new that is so ingrained into my community. But because she is queer and has a platform, um, in a way... It, we stand. It sort of, we stand. We we sort of, yeah, we, we, we stand you, Rena. Don't stand. be offended. We love it. And you're welcome to come on and guest anytime you want. Sorry for not replying to your emails. Um, I want to talk about some of my other faves. Um, Comme de Garçon, going back to that. <laughs> um, I will say I love that song because I think it specifically references the time period, which I clearly am more comfortable with. I think it's heavily influenced by, I don't know if you know it, but it's playing right now, um, late 80s, early 90s, early, like kind of ballroom house track, Break for Love by Ray's. 
Um, I don't think it officially samples it, but when you hear them side by side, it's like that's a definite homage that's yes, playing right I now. now. But I can hear it. That's probably my banger number one. And I do think I haven't... I mean, how many nights out have we had in the last 18 months? I think we had two, didn't we? Or have you maybe had more than me? I think I've had two. One and a half. Right, okay. Well, when the time comes, when, when it's a bit more consistent, um, I'd love to hear Condé Garçon on the dance floor. And I can imagine our London queers getting sweaty to it right now. We see you, we love you. It's very ballroom, it's runway, it's house, it's bop. Um, I love it. Love that. Well, my my favourites from the album are... Drew, you just took um, a big sip, bitch. Did, did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to take a big sip, bitch. Um, yes. Deep, deep friend of the pod. Um, my favourite songs are... <clears throat> shut, shut the fuck up. Is probably my favourite song on, <laughs> um, on the album. <laughs> honestly, though, honestly, it's it's such a good, and I like that kind of like, like I was listening to the album with Deep, brother-in-law of the pod, um, iconic Hetty ally Tim. Uh, yesterday, he'd I was love picking, the he, new metal influences. Well, this is the thing. He was like, "What the fuck is this album?" Because it, it, we were listening to XX, which is very sorry, XS, which is very sort of. Um, uh, it starts a bit rocky, but then it is just kind of that um, sort of poppy kind of um, vibe. And I think that's when he came in. And then um, STFU um, exclamation mark came on. And he was like, what the fuck are you listening to? And as he went on, he was like, God, all of these songs seem like they're not on the same album. And I was like, that's why I love it. And that sort of harks back to that kind of now, now, I want to say now 40 kind of vibe anyway mm. um, so STFU um, is my favourite I also love Who's Gonna Save You Now and the reason I love Who's Gonna Save You Now is because it's an album track that song is 100% an album track but it's an album track that I would have listened to on a Christina Aguilera album or like a Britney that's album that's so interesting like, and that's why mm. it's like this weird thing of like yeah, um, this. Why does it define strange... that for you? Like, what's your definition? Is it like it's a good song, but it's, it's not good enough to be a single? You just know it's not single it's, quality. It's not. It's not good enough to be a single, but it sounds like the songs that weren't good enough to be a single twenty years ago. I just absolutely which do have their merit. Yeah, and it's something as like a pop fan that you do love your album tracks which typically most people won't know that's also a bit of like a source of pride as well it's interesting it's that maybe albums thing, just it? that's aren't a very queer that. thing i think it's very queer it's very queer but i think albums now are chasing you know just because of the way the world works um they just need to be in spotify playlists to be heard so it's mm-hmm. like there's actually the good part of that is people aim to not have any filler but you are right that there's sometimes merit in a bit of filler it doesn't have to be all killer, you know. No. <laughs> look at me, like, before we move on from, uh, before we move on from STFU, have you seen the video? Mm-hmm. I haven't. I'm sorry. Excellent. Powerful hot take on casual everyday racism. Rena oh, okay. portrays like three different types of like perceived Asian women. There's like a. Um, 
there's like a dark, mysterious one. Like typically, you know, how like Western media or you can imagine like teenage boys imagine Japanese women to be. Um, and there's this sort of like incredibly heady, casual racist guy at the start with Rena on a date. And he's saying stuff like, surprise, you can sing in English. She ever been to that restaurant Wagamama's at Heathrow Airport? Very on the nose, very real tease. But I just love that, you know, you love that song for it being amazing and a banger. But actually, like you also said at the start, clear, straightforward, obvious social commentary. Mm. Great. Um, bad friend. Okay, let's open the bad friend um, uh, chronicles because I've actually got a few things that I'd like to talk to you about. No, joking. Um, okay. Bad friend. No, I'm into it. No, no, I was making oh. a joke about... <laughs> I know, I know, I'm into it, I'm into it, yeah. Uh, but back, back to the song. Um, no, so I I love the song. Again, with the video, she iconically portrays a drag king as a Japanese salary man. She really is out here ticking all those queer boxes. Um, I think it's her most listened to song from the album. That could be wrong, well, but it's pretty popular I think with the kids. Her- yeah, it's her favourite song from the album as well, from an interview that I read. Mm. And it's at this point that I would like to open the Immaculate section, if I may. Here we go. Because um, deep uh, godfather of pop, Elton John, who's come up a few times in this episode, um, is on record as saying that Bad Friend is a song Madonna would have died for. Interesting. Huh. I don't know if I fully agreed, but um, I don't know. whatever, Elton. We love you. Anything else in that section? That's all I have for that section. But okay. I do um, like that. Do you know much about Danny L. Hall? Yeah, he works he's with people producer. like Charlie XX, right? And. Um... Well, he's actually, um, yeah, he works a lot with um, lots of AG um, amazing. Well, he, him and Ag Cook are a bit of a um, a bit of a duo. Right. In what way? They'll do stuff together, um, but his uh-huh. is perceived to be a bit more kind of um, when when they're working separately. Ag Cook is a bit more that kind of like subversive, your perfume genius bitch. Um, yes. Your, you know, your Robin bitch, whereas Danielle Hall is more your Charlie XCX bitch and your sort of right. your poppy sort of Rena Sawayama bitch. Mm. Say bitch mm. again, bitch. Okay. Um, so, but speaking of producers, one of my, my, my other favourite song, and I don't know if it's technically if it technically counts as being on the album because it's on the deluxe version of the album, um, but um, Blood Pop, who are... Yes. Is an amazing producer, are amazing producers. Forgive me for not knowing whether they or... Yeah, well, they are one person or um, more than is one person. Is Blood Pop um, that Chromatica bitch? Blood Pop is that Chromatica bitch, <laughs> yes. Mm. And more on that in a, in a, in a second. Because um, Lucid is... Um, is one of my favourite songs on the album. I think it, it's a bonus track on mm. the deluxe version and it came out as a single after the album was released. Produced by Blood Pop, it doesn't sound wholly dissimilar to Rain On Me um, and is just the sort of, the big sort of banger. The, the album has a lot of boppery for me, not much bangery. Mm. This to me was bangery. Mm. Mm. 
Um, I can't think of another of... example off the top of my head, but there is a yeah. trope of, you know, people putting out an album which is good, but not amazing, and then they'll follow it up with a bonus track, which is like, where was this all along? I do think that song is possibly stronger than anything else on the album. Interesting. I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, hmm. a, a similar comparison to that is something like The Cure by Lady Gaga, which came out after Joanne. Um, but many said Beautiful. that that actually was, it was kind of a regression because after she'd done this whole kind of folk, not folk, but country kind of stripped back thing, The Cure was very kind of of the moment, that kind of tropical house thing that a lot of people were doing and it seemed a bit reductive. <laughs> I, actually, I actually don't tolerate um, Joanne or The Cure slander. I, I welcome those babies. I protect them wholeheartedly. Okay, um, well, just really quickly then, because whilst, whilst uh, that section, whilst the fame monster looms over us, or mother monster, <laughs> I've got to say, and I know I say this with every single female artist that we cover, but this bitch, Rina Sawayama, there's so many uh, comparisons to be made with Gaga. Not only is she really? inspired by Gaga, um, but the collaborations that she's done with Elton, that relationship with Elton, um, she's very connected to the fashion world and she's signed to a couple of um, modeling agencies. Um, she loves furniture. She loves furniture. She's very referential. She's very <laughs> cerebral. And she even covered um, Dance in the Dark. She did. You're so right. And there's also... Yeah, part of a Spotify um, Bloody... In the excess video, where she portrays, like, this kind of QVC model on TV shopping, um, it, there's, like, a ticker at the bottom of the screen, and it references the Gaga thing where she's like... It's iconic. It's... I always get it confused with the Oprah Winfrey one. That's it. Put it in a blender, drink it, all of that. And that actually There's something there. There is something there. Yeah. Well, she's a little monster, obviously. Rena is a little monster. You can see that. You can smell it. Do you have anything else about this album in specific? One more specific thing I wanted to say was, I need you to, other than the fact that we've discussed the kind of, you know, you can't love yourself... Love Me For Me was, yes. the, uh, was the song on the album that I thought that's the one that Andy's going to like the most. Because it sounds yeah. like, that sounds to me, um, that was going further into the past than Y2K. That was Correct. very much a kind of like, almost like Rhythm Nation Janet kind of mm. 90s vibe. Lush, um, yeah. And I'm interested to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, all of that and more. Um, very Jan and Lewis, lush keyboard synth, romantic, sexy, have a bath, light some candles, all of that. Um, I love that it possibly referenced, now this would be deep tea. Let's get Rena on the line to ask, is the name of the song a reference to um, a Christina Aguilera interlude from the Stripped no. album, very much coming soon to the pod. Because it that even is has a four, incredible. A number four. 
Rose. And that in itself is um, still connected to Janet for me because Christina, the stripped album is that interlude bitch as well. Um, I wonder, I do wonder whether there's a Janet Christina connection going on with that song because you're right, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I do it's like that one. Beautiful track. Um, yeah. And then the, the only other thing I was going to say is in um, I wanted to, I wanted to quote um, a Instagram post <laughs> that Rena um, that Rena posted in um, in reference to XS. <laughs> it's an Instagram post that Rena posted that she, on Instagram. She she went she went live with it. She she went live. She sent it out to her followers. She broadcasted it to her followers. Um, and I thought it was really, um, really poignant. And it also references our, um, our home country of Australia. And so she says that excess is a song about, sorry, is a song that mocks capitalism in a sinking world. Given that we all know climate change is accelerating and human extinction is very real possibility within our lifetime. It seemed hilarious to me that brands were still coming out with new makeup palettes every month and public figures were doing a gigantic house tour of their gated property in Calabasas, come at me Kim Kardashian, in the same week as doing a sad about Australian wildfires Instagram post. It's very that. It's, it's very, very that. that. It's very that. Um, well, look, the only other song I want to mention from Rena is not from this album. It came out in 2018. It's an iconic song between albums. And I don't know if you know it, but it's called Cherry. In my opinion, it's the best song Rena has ever done. It's summer. It's pop. It's a summer pop jam. Um, the Ryan Hemsworth remix is incredible. The artwork is amazing. That to me is Rina Sawayama's best song. Um, and strongly recommend you checking that out if you haven't. Um, other than that, I think my takeaway from Rina Sawayama um, was it was really cool to listen to an album which came out in the last year. I know I said at the start that um, I find it a little bit uncomfortable when I don't have this benefit of hindsight and this context and all of that. But it's really cool to see a British, Japanese, queer, bisexual, pansexual woman um, kind of living her best pop star life. And um, I have no choice but to support, to hold up. Um, I loved actually seeing all of the incredible comments in the YouTube videos from young people just frothing her and calling out things like, you know, why does this video not have 100 million views? She is destined to be massive. I do think she's probably got a big career of exciting music ahead of her. She's clearly very determined. She's very talented. She writes her own songs. Um, she's got an amazing eye for visuals. Pop star, massive tick there. Um, thank you for the opportunity to dive a little deeper into Rena. And um, maybe, you know, this little late 90s, early 2000s homage might grow on me. You know, I eventually got into Evanescence. It just took a few years. Well, hopefully we've waked something up inside. Um, and... <laughs> Save um, me! Um, because yeah, for me, this album so is my immortal. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> maybe more of more of a niche <laughs> reference. Um, yeah, this is such a this is such a treat to discuss this album, and um, and it's always it's always a pleasure when it's just you and me, my love. 
It is indeed. Um, do you have any closing but remarks? With that said, well, I was going to say, but with that said, we've got some very exciting guests in the pipeline that to wrap up our cycle seven. Oh, we do. Oh, we do. Um, we've got we've got international correspondents. We've got um, international drag superstars. We'll say no more, we... but we've got exciting things coming down the pipeline. We can't speak too much about them, but we do have very exciting things about coming down the pipeline. Let's just say that the clue is in the, in, in the song on this album. The clue is in the song Loving Me For Me. Oh, uh, Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's some deep tea. Um, listeners? That's some deep tea. And listeners, 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 listeners. Drew, what is, wait, wait, what is that way that wait, you listeners. said listeners that time, which <laughs> makes me die? You said it, I don't even know how you said it, it's the tone of yours made me scream. Can you what, just try yeah, and do it for li- me? <clears throat> Was it something like this? Listeners? I can't remember. Yeah, maybe the moment's passed. I don't know. <laughs> we grow and we evolve. I don't know. I just remember used to finding it really funny. Uh, oh, no, no, that, that's right. That's right. It was like, listeners, listeners. Was it, <laughs> <laughs> was it that? Um, it was that. It was that adjacent. Um, Please, can you leave us a rating? And actually, honestly, if only, you know, 10%, if 1% of our listeners left us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would make an enormous, enormous difference to us. Please do keep that five-star rating because all jokes aside, here's me being earnest, it is actually the most effective way to... um, reach more people and to have more mm. people discover our show. So we would really mm. love if you do that other than anything else. Um, yeah. Let's get Rena listening. You know, let's get this on her algorithm. Mm, mm. Mm. Um, well, all that's left to say then is thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to email us your thoughts on this episode, an episode from the past, your definition of bisexuality versus pansexuality. We want to hear it. Uh, you can email us at oralfixationpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can. We're at oralfixationpodcast. I'm at, with all due respect, Andy's at Andrew. Do you think you are? We've got a website, oralfixationpodcast.com. <laughs> and you can also just Google oralfixation. You'll see... The website, you'll see us on Apple, you'll see us on Spotify. Come on, doll, sound a bit more excited when you do it. <laughs> I do it every bloody week. How about you? <laughs> Go on then, you finish yourself. <laughs> ah, okay, so you've got the Twitter. Have we done Twitter? Because Twitter is no, all you haven't done Twitter. Twitter. You've got the website, you've got the Instagram. Yes. We've got the LinkedIn, we've got the Google Plus, we've got the Bebo, we've got the MySpace. We have got <laughs> networks, listeners. Okay, so main please, things are please, ratings, um, reviews, follow subscribe. us on LinkedIn. <laughs> Check out our job postings, and we love you, listeners. Yeah, we're on Indeed, um, we're on Seek. <laughs> Gotta love oh. your fade out. Gotta love ya. Gotta love ya. Bye, listeners. Listeners. We hope that you enjoyed our discussion on Rina Sawayama. If you would like to, you can head back into the past and discover more episodes uh, that we reference in this episode. Say episode again. Episode. Uh, We discuss Dua Lipa's future nostalgia, so you can head back and, and listen to that. 
We discuss Gaga at length. We've got episodes on the fame monster and Chromatica. And of course, we discuss Godfather of all queer pop, Elton John. Head back and listen to one of my favourite episodes of all time, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Goodbye.